right, good morning again. It's great to have you here at Grace Church. And today we're continuing this three-week series that we're calling First. And it's the idea that what you put first in your life really matters. What you put first in your life really, really matters. It's the idea that what we focus on in our lives, it matters. The decisions that we make really matter. What we say yes to and what we say no to, it really, really matters. It's really important. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Once again, this is either true or it's not. It's either true or it isn't. Seeking the kingdom of God above all else and living righteously, living right, God will give you everything you need. You see, the goal of this talk this morning, the goal of our time together, I want you to know what the win is, the goal for this time together. The goal for this time together is to be crystal clear as to how we, you and I, can seek the kingdom of God above all else. You see, sometimes we have, many of us probably uh, have, have a lot of experience in church, and we've heard this phrase again and again, seek the kingdom of God, put God first, and sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. And my job today is to kind of help us recalibrate, refocus on what does it really look like to seek the kingdom of God above all else. What, what does that mean? What is it? What is it? What's expected of us? How does that play out in our lives? First of all, the first point I would like to make this morning is who you put first in your life is one of the most significant decisions of your life. Who you put first in your life is one of the most significant decisions of your life. The question is, is is where do we begin? Where do I begin? If your life is like most of ours, It's rather full. We talked about this last Sunday. We live in a busy bubble. We are a busy culture. We are all busy. Our lives are very full. Perhaps you're in school and there's just an unrelenting barrage of assignments and social activity and it just seems like you're always running. Perhaps you're working. Perhaps you're raising a family. Maybe you're even attempting to do both at the same time, which can be really difficult. Maybe you're in the stage of life right now where sleep is something to be coveted. You're like, if I could just get one more hour or 30 minutes of sleep, it would be like, yes, glory, glory to God. I got an hour of sleep extra, you know. Maybe you're in that phase where you just want sleep. Maybe you're older And now the expectations and connections to others, you know, they fill your heart and mind. You know, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever phase of life you're in, I ask the question, how do you begin to put God first when often our lives and the culture that we live in, our lives feel overwhelmed. Our, Our lives feel like they have no space. Like, how can I just, how can I fit something else in? I don't have the space for it. So I think to help us with a starting point, to help us kind of find some direction, I'm going to look at 
just a couple simple verses from Jesus Christ. All right, the way we roll here at Grace Church is when we don't know the answer, we look to Jesus, okay? And we look to his life and we look to his example because he makes the way for us. And so we're going to look at his life and we're going to look at his life with that question in mind. How do we put God first when our lives are so full, when our lives are overwhelmed? So let's look at a couple verses from the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. And let me remind you, Luke was a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of Luke, he's recording. He's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. So he's recording what he saw, what he heard, what he experienced. So this is a firsthand account from Luke um, about the life of Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, The report of his power, and this is speaking of Jesus' power, it spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. All right? Jesus is a, he's drawing in large crowds. He's healing people. He is becoming a celebrity. Verse 16. And this is what I want us to focus in on. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You see, what happened was is Jesus healed a man from leprosy. And immediately he's a celebrity. Leprosy was, it was a horrific, horrific disease in this day. And people... People are, you know, they're hearing this news. News is traveling fast, and they're hearing that this man has been healed by Jesus Christ. Now, just imagine with me for just a a, a few seconds, in a pre-medical world, hearing that there is a man who can cure an incurable disease in just a matter of moments, like that, boom, he was healed. Like, imagine what that would do to people. Imagine how excited people would be and like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta see this Jesus. I, I need to be healed by this Jesus. Instantly, Jesus was a celebrity. Masses of people were clamoring for connection with Jesus. The, 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 the demands on his life were many. I mean, Jesus had some pressures on his life. His life at times felt overwhelmed. He had a lot of demands on his life. But what did Jesus do? What's what's his example for us? We just read it right there. Often, he would withdraw to the wilderness for prayer. To just be alone with God. Times with his Father. Times of reflection. Times to just hear from God. Listen, if we are serious about seeking the kingdom of God above all else, which I hope you are, if we're serious about this, connecting with God, like being in tune, in touch with God, if we're serious about that, we have to begin by regularly spending time listening for His voice and getting to know Him. We have to hear from Him. We have to spend time with Him. Jesus had customs in his life, that he intentionally built in his life. He had habits. He had routines that he intentionally put into his life on purpose. And it shaped how he related to his father. Customs and habits that he built into the daily routines of his life. Let's look at a couple other examples. Luke 
chapter 22, verse 39, Jesus was spending some time with his disciples. And it says, Jesus left the upstairs room and he went as usual. Okay, this wasn't like shocking to his followers. Like this was something that was common in Jesus' life. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now let me remind you, remember the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. And that's where Jesus was eventually betrayed before he died on the cross. Jesus would often, as usual, go to this garden and spend time in prayer and reflection and just spending time with his Father. It wasn't shocking to his followers. This was something that Jesus did regularly. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, this was his hometown, this is where he grew up, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the Scriptures. I know for a fact, with a crowd this size, I know that there are some of us here who are like, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I wasn't here. I don't even know why we come to church. Like, why do we do this? Why, why do we, why, it's, it's, what, what's this routine in our life for? I want you to know, me, I get paid to be here, that's why I'm here. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just kidding. Me, why I'm here, why I want my boys to be here, why I want to be here with my wife, is because I see it in Jesus' life. And the older I get, the more I need this. The more I need to be with God's people, the more I need to be in His Word, the more I need to be in prayer. Because I am messed up. And I need all the help I can get. We, we need this time. We need to be together. And Jesus went as usual to the synagogue. It was common. It was a routine in his life that brought value to his life. And he was showing us. He was living by example for us to follow. You see, what we're not going to seek God just randomly. Like, wouldn't that be awesome if you could lay your head on the Bible at night and it just like soaks into your brain? It doesn't work that way. It's not going to be random. It's not going to happen by accident. So many of us in our pursuit of God, is just, it's just haphazard. But if we're going to have a real relationship, which you can have a real relationship with God, that's so incredible. If you're going to have real connection with God, you need regularity in your life. You need to have some routines in your life that are healthy and that keep you on track, that keep you disciplined, that keep you focused. The point is this. If we are truly serious about seeking God first, about seeking His kingdom above all else, and I'm going to be real with you. Either you're serious about it or you're not. Let's not play religion. Okay? There's, it's disgusting. Let's not do that. Either you're serious about seeking God above all else or you're not. And if you're truly serious about seeking God first, seeking Him daily must be a priority. Every day, seeking the Lord. Let me, let me give you a little word of caution this morning. Sometimes we get advice from other people. Maybe you hear a pastor preach a sermon like this. And the counsel that 
you receive, maybe it turns into what, what is supposed to be a joyful experience. Spending time with God is supposed to be joyful. It's something you want. It's something you look forward to. But maybe you hear something like this and it, and it starts to feel like a burden. It starts to feel like a have to instead of a get to or I want to. Let me, let me tell you this story. There was a time, um, how many of you have seen the, there's a plan, it's like read through the Bible in a year plan. Have, has anybody seen that, read through the Bible? I think it's awesome. It's really good. But I actually got really jazzed, and I made a commitment. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. It was like January 1st. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this, you know. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And first couple months, I'm killing it. And then April, May hits, and I start nosediving, okay? Okay. But what happened, and this is just my experience, is I got behind in my reading, and I tried to read three weeks of readings in three days, okay? I'm confessing right now, all right? I tried to read three weeks of readings in three days. And let me just tell you my experience. By the end of that effort, I was exhausted, and I remember almost nothing of what I read. Because here's the point. I was trying to check off a box. I, I, was, I was trying to do a have to. Instead of going to God's word with the mind, mentality of I want to. I was trying to do my religious duty. The word of caution is this. Sometimes we can get so caught up in religious practices. And, and the, I've just been preaching that routines are good. You need those practices in your life. But. It's, it's a, such a fine line. You can get so caught up in religious practices and routines and rituals that over time they lose their meaning. They lose their power. And they become burdens instead of blessings. And you might say, Justin, like, why are you telling this? I guess my attempt is for you personally, for me, to just do a check and adjust. Like, man, am I, am I approaching church with the right mindset? Am I, am I going to God's word with the right mindset? If, am, I, am I doing this because I love God and I want to know him more? Or am I checking off a box, my religious checklist? I think the point is this. The heart behind seeking God first is not a duty. It is a relationship. It's a relationship. See, the point is, is not to just do the act. The point is to love God. Check out the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 12. Mark, once again, was a follower of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness. He's recording what he saw, what he heard. Mark 12, 28 through 31, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. Shocking, religious people debating. Okay, And he realized that Jesus had answered well. And so he asked Jesus. Jesus, by the way, won every debate, okay? He asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Verse 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment is greater. See, the question this morning, it's really about our first love. It's about a relationship. It's about your first love. But just because it's about love doesn't mean that we leave it to chance. You see, I I love my wife. I love her so much. But I can't leave that relationship to chance. I have to do some things on purpose to foster love in that relationship. I need to take her on dates. I need to listen to her. I need to interact with her. I need to talk with her. I need to make sure she knows that she's a priority in my life. I have to do some things intentionally to connect with her on a regular basis. We need to communicate. We need to build our relationship. It's not going to happen on accident. If I leave it to chance, our relationship most likely is not going to work out. Another example would be like, Trisha and I, we we love our four boys. We love them so dearly. And we have to make sure that we we get them lots of food (laughs) every day. Lots and lots of food. Okay, we do our best to be consistent in our parenting, to be on the same page in our parenting. We have to do some things on purpose, intentionally, to raise our boys in the ways of the Lord. We can't leave it to chance. It, it's not going to happen on accident. The point of what, I, what I'm trying to say is routine is not the enemy of love. Okay, because I, I try to get up every morning and make my wife a cup of coffee, all right, because I have that routine, it doesn't mean that I'm disrespecting her or not loving her. Like I, that, that routine is showing her I'm trying to foster love to her. Routine is not the enemy of love. It's often a manifestation or it's often a, a visual representation of mature love. It's people that are actually further down the road on the path of love. They, they understand, I need routines in my life because I'm so messed up. And if I don't have these routines, I veer off the path so easily. It's good to have routines. It's good to have these practices. Leaving it to chance doesn't work. So let's consider just some practical tips, okay? Your routine, your practices, they need to involve God's word. And you might say, like, why? Like, this time that I spend with God, why does it have to involve the Bible? Why does it have to involve God's Word? Because the Scriptures will disagree with you. That's why. Left to our own thoughts or simply to prayer, we can squeeze out the uncomfortable bits that God will use to sharpen us or to make us better. You need God's Word in your life because it will disagree with you. It will challenge you when you read it. You'll say, what in the world? Like, that's not showing up in my life. It really challenges us. It'll disagree with you. If if you increase your engagement with God's word, you will increase the likelihood of hearing from him. When you spend time in God's word, that's that's how you hear from God. And, And my suggestion is this. If God has written down sound counsel, 
on major areas of our life, marriage and parenting and the workplace and, you know, the major areas of our life, we would be foolish not to listen and not to go to this incredible source, God's word, to seek his counsel. We would be out of our minds not to listen to him. Consider just a couple thoughts, all right? I know for some, you know, the Bible can be intimidating. It's really big. I've had people ask me, like, where do I start reading? <clears throat> so let me just give you some helps, just some ideas. Um, when you leave at the Welcome Center, there's some study materials that we have, some study helps that will help to guide you as you open up the scriptures, some tools that will kind of give you some guidance. You can, you can check it out at the Welcome Center. Another suggestion would be on your phone or <clears throat> your, your computer, you could download version. It's a Bible app. I, I do it every day. Every day, I try not to go to my email or my texts. I try to open up version, and I have some plans that I personalize. For example, if, if you're struggling with fear, you can look up some plans that gives you a bunch of verses that, that talks all about fear and overcoming fear. I mean, you can personalize these plans, and um, it's an incredible tool. So I would encourage you to check out that app called Version. Also, I would encourage you to, to read smaller sections and really work hard to seek understanding. I've interacted with a lot of people that get really frustrated because they, they seem to not understand. They say, ah, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Don't be frustrated. What I would encourage you, if you read something and it doesn't make any sense, I mean, talk to your pastor. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to someone that you trust and say, hey, can you, can you give me some insight? I mean, try to seek understanding. Work hard for that. I would also encourage you to make sure that your time includes listening. You see, in a relationship, it's not always about you talking. It's about you listening as well. And then I, I've told you this before, but I make a habit. I keep a journal. And the reason I do this is when God speaks to me, if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. And so I do my best to write down what God is speaking to me and how he's ministering to me. And then lastly, I've shared this with you before, but some of you have never heard this. I use an acronym. In my prayer life, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I start praying, I start thinking about everything but what I'm praying about. I start thinking about my to-do list and what I have to do for that day and you know, who's picking up the boys and you know, just all kinds of random stuff. So I've used this acronym. It's, it's called ACTS. The letter A stands for adoration. You just start your prayer by adoring God, by saying, God, you are so awesome. You are so incredible. I, I often go to the book of Psalms, and I'll just write out some scripture to help me stay focused on how awesome God is. The letter C stands for confession. I spend some time confessing all the junk in my heart that I know of and, and trying to get right with God. And often that can be a long extended time of prayer, okay? The letter T stands for thanksgiving. I start thinking about everything that I'm thankful for. And I just start giving thanks. And see, what it does is it starts shifting my mind to be thankful for what I do have instead of thinking about what I don't have so easy for my mind to go that way. But I'm going to think about what I do have. And then the letter S, and you can see that it's at the end, is supplications. 
This is where I bring my needs or my wants to God the Father. And I have to confess, my, most of my prayer life was just the opposite. I would start with my wish list, like treat God like Santa Claus and say, hey God, can you give me this, can you give me that? But I've reversed it and it's been so good to say, okay, Lord, I do have some needs. And by the time I get to this point in my prayer, my heart's in a different place because I've shown adoration to him, I've confessed sin, I've, I've prayed thankfulness, and it's just, it's been a healthy practice for me. So, in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a video, okay? It's nine minutes long, and it's a video clip from, from a sermon that Pastor Bill Hybels, he's the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. He preached this sermon uh, probably nine or ten years ago, so you'll have to forgive the video quality, all right? It's not the best, but it's really, really good. And uh, Bill Hybels was the one that founded the Global Leadership Summit. It's the leadership conference that we host here at Grace. But uh, Pastor Hybels, he shares a, a story that is just really incredible, and I wanted you to hear it. And, and, and Bill Hybels has really been a mentor in my life. Man, just his love for God, his love for people is just really incredible. But I thought, this, I thought this story, I thought this encouragement was so rich, it was so good that I just wanted you to see it, I wanted you to hear it this morning. So listen as Pastor Hybels talks about chair time. All right, check this out. An advertising executive came down to talk to me after a service, and he had just become a Christian. I had, I had baptized him at the church, and, so, and uh, he said, I, I just can't make time for a meeting with God. He said, you have no idea what it's like to commute downtown every day, and you live in a different world. I, can't, I just can't fit, it, fit that kind of thing into my life. And I remember looking at this young guy, hard-charging young guy, and, and I said, here's my experience, and I'm not, you know, I'm only like 24 years old, so there it is. I said, I've always been able to make time for stuff I value. Just how my life works. If I value something, I'll make time to experience it. If I don't, I won't. And I'm making time for a meeting with God in my life. You do it any way you want. And uh, he wasn't too happy with me that day, I don't think. And I didn't see him for a while. And then afterwards, I saw him many months later. And when he came down to talk to me, he, his countenance was different. He felt different. His conversation was different. And he invited Lynn and me. He and his wife invited Lynn and me to go over to their house for dinner. So we accepted. He lived right in the area. And so we go over to their house, and uh, as we're kind of just having some appetizers beforehand, he takes me over to a rocking chair. And he says, you know how you challenged me to have a meeting with God and to just to make the time? He said, I, I've, I love rocking chairs, so I bought a good one. And you said that maybe if you're going to make this repeatable and enjoyable, you should look at some scene or vista that you enjoy looking at. And he said, I've got a little backyard here, and I love looking over the backyard. So he said, I, I just bought this chair, and I put it in, at my favorite window where I can overlook the backyard. And he said, I got up a half hour earlier, 15, 20 minutes, half hour earlier each day the last several months. I sit in the chair. I have a cup of coffee. And he goes, I read God's Word. I try to make sense of it. I ask him to speak to me by his word. Then I meditate on it, reflect it, apply it to my life. Then he said, I write some thoughts down in a journal and I pray. I pray that I will be more aware of his presence in my life. 
And I said, how's, how's that going for you? And his wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going for him. He's a changed guy. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centered. He's a more gentle and loving man in our marriage and to our children. I was very impressed with this, that he could show me his chair, that he had taken the time, that he had fashioned a meeting with God that he looked forward to. Because he liked the chair, he liked the view, he liked the coffee, he was a morning guy. And he fell into this pattern. Many months later, uh, I had coffee with him one time, and he said, I'm thinking about leaving my job in advertising. He said, it just, it, um, I think I'm done with that. I said, where'd you get these ideas? And he said, well, in my meetings with God in the chair. That's, he's been putting those thoughts in my mind. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, maybe I'll just help you build the church. I said, well, no one's getting paid around here, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, I've done pretty well in advertising. I can hold on for a while, and, and uh, maybe if the church grows, you know, then maybe they can help me and my family in some way. And I said, well, you better go back to that chair and see if God's really in this, because I don't want to take responsibility for your life and all this. And he said, okay, I will, and came back about a month later, and he said, you know, I, I gave notice at, at work, and if it's all the same to you, I'm just going to help you start building the church. You pay me what you can, but it's not a concern of mine. And this guy joined our staff, and I'm telling you, he was a hardworking, energized, joyful, uh, industrious individual that really, really helped our church and was on our staff for many, many years. One of the best staff members in the early days of the church. Then one day he comes into my office and he said, you know, I, I still do that meeting with God in that chair, that rocking chair. And he said, God's been stirring in my life, in my meetings with God. And he said, uh, a friend of mine's starting a brand new church in Colorado. And I think I'm going to pack my family up and move to Colorado. I said, can they support you? He said, no, I'm going to have to go back into the marketplace and uh, make some money because they, they can't afford anything. And uh, I said, you, are you ready to do that? And he said, you know, every morning I talk to God about it. And he said, I'm really... Fired up about it. So we said goodbye to him, and he packed his family up, and he went out, and he went back into advertising, made a lot of money, and gave most of it to the startup church. And it became a fantastic church. And then in that same chair that he moved out to Colorado, sitting at a window in the morning like he had done for many, many years now, he processed a bad medical report he got from the doctor that cancer had come his way. And he kept working, and he kept supporting that church, and uh, he got sicker and sicker. It was a very fast-spreading kind of cancer. And uh, then he was hospitalized, and one of the great losses he felt when he was in the hospital is that he didn't have his chair. And he died quite soon thereafter, and I did his funeral in Colorado. And I was talking to his widow, his wife, uh, at the funeral reception afterwards. I said, that was something about that chair, wasn't it? She said, his whole life changed in that chair. I said, what are you going to do with the chair? And she said, we are going to pass that chair on to our children and on to our grandchildren in the hopes that someone would sit in it like Tom did. And have their life transformed. 
Simple question, gang. Where's your chair? Where do you meet with God? Where do you reflect on His Word and open yourself to His power? Where, where do you become aware of His presence in your life? Where is that? And some of you go, well, you know, I mean, I don't have a nice backyard to look out on. It doesn't work for me. It, the thing about the unlimited presence of God is that you can meet with Him anywhere. Your chair can be anywhere. When we first started, Lynn and I first started taking our summer study breaks in South Haven, that little town on the other side, uh, we rented a one-bedroom cottage in the summer times. And so it was chaos with two kids in, in that cottage. So I would leave and I would go to the Burger King in the morning for 30, 40, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. First booth on the right when you come in the door, Main Street in South Haven. I did that little practice for nine years. Fiberglass booth in a Burger King. I made some of the most important ministry and personal decisions in my life. Fiberglass booth in a Burger King. To this day when I drive by that Burger King, I look at it and I go, man, God met me there. There's a carpenter in this church that meets with God every morning in the front seat of his pickup truck. Brings a thermos of coffee and his Bible. Half hour before the construction starts, he just sits in the front seat of his pickup truck, absorbs the Word of God, meets with God, surrenders himself with God to God, asks for direction in his life. A young mom that I know goes to Starbucks whenever she can. Corner table, meets with God. Where's your chair? When you meet with a friend... Let's say for a lunch. What happens is if you've connected with that friend, after you leave the restaurant or wherever it is, you think about that friend later on in the afternoon. When you meet with God, you think about him more throughout the course of your day. His presence lingers after the meeting. Where's your chair? But that was just a good challenge for us to to ask that question of ourselves: Where's your chair, and where do you regularly meet with God? And you know, there may be some here who, gosh, have really never even cracked the Bible open. You've never read the Scriptures for yourself, and let alone study them. Listen, it it really doesn't matter if if you're a Christian or not. The practice of solitude and reflection is a good idea. It really is. And I'm not trying to put a chain of re, a, a religious requirement on you, but what I am saying is without the daily practice of reflection on God's Word, without the daily practice of prayer or listening to the Spirit of God, your attempt at seeking the kingdom of God above all else will come to a screeching halt. It really will. And this morning, the title of the message this morning was The Challenge. And listen, I live and work and play and eat and sleep in the same communities that you do. And you're fully aware of the brokenness in our community. And we've had 17 people 
make the decision that they wanted to end their life rather than continue to live it. That's 17 too many. And I don't know about you, but man, it's, it's, it's been weighty on me. I don't know. I, I just felt, felt this weight. Going, what can we do, God? What can we do to, to bring light into this dark place? To, what can we do you know, to fix the brokenness? And God has been reminding me. He's been saying, not in an audible voice, but in my time spending with God, He's been saying, Justin, you can't fix it. Only I can do that. But what you can do is you can meet with me. You can connect with me. And just in my simplistic way of thinking, I know that when you leave this place, you interact with people. I mean, just think about All of us sitting here, when we go out, there's just so many interactions that happen. And wouldn't it be incredible when people interact with you that they hear from God? But the only way that's going to happen is if you meet with God. Man, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the best way that we can minister the communities around us, the people around us, is for us to make a daily practice of spending time with God and hearing from God. I think it would do more than a thousand of my sermons. How amazing they are. (laughs) Okay. Starting today through the end of the year, January 1st, 2018, is 50 days. So the sermon's called The Challenge. I'm not going to let you leave here without throwing down a challenge, okay? We do this in our health. We do health challenges, and we try to lose weight here, and, you know, we P90X stuff, whatever that is. Um, 50-day challenge. I'm going to ask, I'm going to challenge you for the next 50 days I'm, I'm saying yes to this challenge, and I'm inviting you to just journey with me on it. To spend 30 minutes a day in God's Word, in prayer, uh, listening to a spirit, reflecting, journaling. 30 minutes for the next 50 days. And I already know, because I've had seasons where I've been very faithful at this and it has done wonders for my life. I already know what the results are going to be. But I can't help but think, man, if we collectively took this challenge, I think it could be incredible what God does and how He speaks. I'm one man trying to speak, you know, the truth of God, but man, when His Spirit gets involved, He can speak to you at any time of the day, anywhere, you're seeking him, I I think it would be incredible. So I don't know if you're up for this challenge or not. I hope and pray that you are. We're not going to have you sign anything. I'm not going to try to guilt you into it. I'm just saying, hey, I'm doing it. I would love for you to do it with me. Next 50 days, let's do this challenge. And when January 1st, 2018 comes, hopefully we've built a habit now and we just keep doing it. So, uh, 
Yeah, let's let's spend time with God. I'm going to close in prayer. All right. Father God, thank you for this time to be together, to be challenged by your word. Lord, it's your job. You're you're in the redeeming business. It's your job to redeem and to reconcile and to convict and to heal and to restore. And I feel like it's my job to just communicate, to be a mouthpiece, to communicate your truth as best I can and to throw down a challenge. And uh, and I feel like I've done that. God, I pray that you would speak to people as they open up your word, as they go to you in prayer, as they listen to you. And I pray that collectively as a church, we would hear from you and experience you in ways that we've never experienced. And God, if we would just be in awe of the stories that we hear of people who have heard from you and have spent time with you. And God, ultimately I pray that you would restore the brokenness in our communities and the darkness that it, I pray that you bring light to the darkness, Lord. Um, We pray that you would redeem people and set them free. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning.